Well, have you ever felt like running away? When I was in year seven or year eight, I can't remember, um, I, my father asked me to take, go and chop the wood, and I didn't want to. So I got in a bit of an argument with him, and I was going to get in big trouble, and uh, the, it was laid down, Wayne, go and chop the wood or else. So I went outside, and with all the logic of a 13-year-old, knowing better than my father, I decided I'm not going to put up with this anymore, I'm leaving home. So I ran out the back to the grapevines, took the dog with me, sat there for about three or four hours, it got dark, I got cold, heard mum crying, felt sorry for her, went back home. Since then though, there are times when I have felt like running away, uh, not, not just from home, but just from things in life. Maybe it's for you, it's a relationship problem, maybe it's something at work or something where you just feel like starting again. On a bad day, I just wonder about leaving, leaving Dubbo, leaving everything, just starting afresh. No responsibilities, no worries, leave all your problems behind. Of course, they don't stay behind, do they? They go with you. Now, there are some places in the Bible where the Bible would encourage us to run away, flee from sexual immorality and and so on, get out of there. But in today's passage that was just read for us, we're thinking about two areas of life in particular, not, not easy areas of life, but they are areas where we might like to run away and escape, but in these cases, the right response is to face up and deal with our problems. So two things not to run away from, if you like. And you can see them on your outline there. The first one is antagonism or arguments with other people in your church family. And the second one is anxiety or worry. It's pretty practical stuff, isn't it? Church is not perfect. It's full of people who are not perfect. There's going to be people who we disagree with. What do we do? We're not perfect. There's things that make us anxious and we worry. What do we do? So let's have a look at those two things one at a time. At this point I'm thinking we could have actually spent two weeks, one on each of these things, so we're kind of going to half do them both. I'm sorry about that. Uh, But firstly, let's think about arguments with other people in church, chapter 4, verse 2. I plea with Euodia and I plea with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. It seems that in this church in Philippi, there's two women and they're having a Barney. And this this argument is big enough that it's found its way to the Apostle Paul, who is a thousand kilometres and a boat trip away from Philippi. This would be a bit like someone here having an argument and they've heard about it down in Hobart in Tasmania. Now, we have no idea what they're arguing about. We do know a few things about them, though. We do know that Euodia and Syntyche, they're not troublemakers. They're both godly Christian women. Look at verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, uh, that's kind of a a term for a, a friend that Paul might have in the church, like, I ask you, my good friend, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche are women who love Jesus. They were actually doing ministry with Paul alongside him in the gospel. 
See, arguments happen even among godly church leaders, even among gospel-minded Christians. And when they happen, we need to sort them out. Verse 2, that's what the command is. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. What does it mean to agree in the Lord? In the Lord, I take it means that Euodia and Syntyche are both in the Lord. They are both followers of Jesus. We've already seen in verse 3 their names are in the book of life. They're not enemies. They're on the same team. They're, They're both in Christ. They're both part of the body of Christ. They're both forgiven by Jesus and they're both united with Jesus in his death. They're in the Lord. And so they need to be of the same mind. They need to agree in the Lord. Now, does that mean that we will always agree with every other Christian on every single issue? No, of course not. But I think there's there's generally two kinds of issues, aren't there? There's issues that the Bible speaks clearly about that we need to be of one mind on. In other words, we need to agree on them. There's issues that the Bible speaks clearly about that we need to agree on, like we saw last week. Paul was talking about the resurrection, Jesus coming back. And he talked, when we're thinking about the resurrection, in chapter 3, verse 15, it said, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So where the Bible speaks clearly on something, to be in the Lord means that we all agree on it. We're of one mind. We think what the Bible thinks. Now, of course, there's other issues, aren't there, that the Bible doesn't speak clearly about. Or there's even issues where the Bible says we are free to hold different views, like whether we observe a Sabbath day on Sunday. The Bible says we're allowed to have different views on that. The kind of food that we eat, whether we're vegetarian, what kind of church building renovation we do, who to vote for in an election, what style of music that we listen to. There's lots of issues that, as Christians, we're allowed to have a different view on. And I think, just think about this, I think that to be of one mind on those issues means to see that in Christ we can have a different opinion and we don't need to argue about those things. We need to get on board with what is important. See, so if it's not a gospel Bible issue, it doesn't matter. Don't argue about that. They're not important. And if it is a Bible matter, we'll get together, work out what the Bible says and agree on it. Now, we don't know what the issue was between Euodia and Syntyche, but Paul is saying to them, agree on it in the Lord. Get on. And I think there's some other good things worth noticing here. Two people not getting on in church, it's not a private matter, is it? It's not like, oh, we don't want to stick our nose in their business, leave it alone. We are one body in the Lord. It's like family. And if one part of the body has a problem... We all have a problem. And that's why in verse 3, Paul appeals to other people in the church to help these two ladies out. It's been going on long enough. They can't sort it out. They need some help. Verse 3, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. Get alongside them. And there's something else worth noticing. There's an optimism here that comes because these two women are Christians. See, if if we can see how God has treated us far better than we deserve, he's overlooked our problems, he's forgiven us, well, how can we not be like that with each other? 
If we're united with Christ, if we have the spirit of Christ, how can we not get on? How can we hold a grudge? And so the answer to this disagreement is not that Euodia and her family go and join another church or that Sintiki go to another church meeting. The answer is sort it out. Agree in the Lord. In the Lord we work out our differences and it's a demonstration of the gospel uniting us in Christ. So worth thinking about, isn't it? Is there someone in early church that you need to ring this week? Is there someone that you've got a grudge against that you need to pray about and forgive them? Is there something that's been going on for a little while and you can't deal with it and perhaps you need to go on with someone else and, and talk through it and get some help? Can you think of someone who you need to make peace with? Maybe don't write their name on the bulletin, but at least put yourself a reminder that you're going to sort something out with them. And as we read on in this chapter, there's a few things that Paul gives us that might help us as we we seek to do that, as we seek to live in peace. The first one is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, this isn't something new in chapter 2. Paul commanded the Philippians to rejoice in chapter 3. He told them to rejoice in the Lord. And here a third time he tells them to rejoice. Why is he saying it a third time? Is it because they've forgotten? I don't think so. I think he's deliberately saying it in the light of these two women arguing. Because it's hard to keep an argument going if you're happy and if you're joyful. Isn't it the case that we're more likely to argue when we're grumpy and when we're resentful? I went through a patch of the grumps last year, just asked Jill about it, and I just felt like arguing with everyone. It's so easy to argue when you're grumpy, it's harder to argue when you're joyful. So Paul commands the Philippians here, be joyful. Joyful just means happy, it's not some special religious word. But notice what we're to be joyful in. It's not joyful because we have a good job. That goes up and down every day. It's not joyful because we've just had a nice meal. That's up and down. It's joyful, verse 4, in the Lord. There's that phrase again. It's joyful because of who we are in Christ. It's joyful because we're forgiven. If we think about those things, it brings about in us joy as we see the way that God loves us and has treated us. And that's not all, not just be joyful. I think Paul still has Euodia and Syntyche in mind as he goes on in verse 5, where he says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, treating other people gently. That's a good cure for arguments and antagonism, isn't it? Not teaching people a lesson, not getting them back for what they've done, not, not trying to put them in their place, but be gentle. Let them know that they're safe with you. They don't have to be defensive with you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The antidotes to arguments in the church. Agree in the Lord. Help people out. Get alongside them. Delight in the Lord and let that joy overflow into your relationships with other people. Be gentle. In the Lord. Maybe there are things that you need to hear this morning, or maybe there are things that you need to come back to and think about if you find yourself in an argument with someone 
who's another Christian in the future. As we move on in the passage, though, we see another antidote. This time it's the antidote to anxiety. There's plenty of things in life to worry about, aren't there? Work, bills. I could list them all off. It would just sit here and make us all anxious. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel literally like running away from it all. And to some extent, that works. We need to switch off sometimes, don't we? When we just worry and worry and we don't get a break, it's actually bad for us. And there's lots of things that people do to switch off, aren't there? Go and play some sport, go for a swim, go for a bushwalk, do some gardening, go for a bike ride, watch a movie, have a holiday. And some of those things uh, that we rest from our worries and our work and our anxiety are important. In fact, God told us to work six days and rest one. Rest and refreshment are part of the way that we were made, but it's not always that easy, is it? Sometimes people can be so anxious they can't switch off. Some people need medication to help them switch off. Sometimes people turn to things that maybe aren't so healthy as going for a bushwalker, alcohol to deaden the worry. Not just a drink for enjoyment, but a drink because it's the only way to stop the worry. Smoking to lessen the anxiety. Uh, Addictive recreational drugs to numb the pain and have a break. There's all sorts of ways to deal with anxiety. Some of them good and healthy. Some of them not so good. But the Bible here gives us and an antidote to anxiety, which is none of those things. Notice in chapter 4 of Philippians, what is the Bible's antidote to anxiety? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and by petition, petition just means asking God, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, in other words, it's even greater than things that we can work out as we think about them, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, the opposite of anxiety is to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, Present your requests to God. Now, please, this is not saying that if we pray, we can just go flat out and we don't need to rest and we don't need to relax. It's just like some super pill and uh, and that there's no place for any of those other things. What it is saying, though, is when we are anxious, despite which of those other things we may or may not do, the one thing we must do is pray. Because prayer, anxiety, is a pathway that should lead us as God's people to prayer. Because prayer is entrusting those things that we worry about to God. See, anxiety is worry. It's worry about things. It's worry about the future. It's worry about ourselves. It's worry about other people. It can be worry about anything. And prayer is not so much about the anxiety itself. It's about the things 
that we're anxious about. And prayer is saying with those things, I can't do this. I can't fix this. Lord, please, it's in your hands. You do with it as you will. And then it's trusting God's promise that he does know best. And with those things, he will do what's best. We don't need to worry about them. And if you're one of God's children and you have entrusted yourself to him, there actually isn't anything to worry about. Even though we still worry, we don't need to. And if we can see that, that's what the passage goes on to say in verse 7. If we can entrust our, our anxieties to God in prayer, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All those other ways to deal with anxiety, exercise, relaxing, whatever, they may reduce anxiety for a time. That may be good and really helpful. But in the end, they don't actually change what it is that we're worrying about. But when you pray, God listens. And God acts. And in that particular situation, whatever it is that God does, he promises that he does what is best for you. We need to learn to trust him. I've got this book that I've read years ago called Adrenaline and Stress. It's been one of my favourite books. Uh, I'm a pretty... Uh, active and highly stressed person. I've even lent this book to a few people. It's written by a Christian. Uh, it's got lots of good information about anxiety and stress, how to relax, the importance of exercise, the way uh, the, the um, chemicals in our body work. It's even got a chapter on the spiritual antidotes for stress, about balancing your priorities and forgiving people and so on. I was just looking over this book last week. Do you know what it does not mention? Not once. I kid you not, it does not mention prayer. How can you have a, a Christian book that I actually liked for many years and thought it was great that doesn't even mention prayer? The one thing God commands us to do when we're anxious. It's a dangerous mistake, but isn't it so easy to make? When we get anxious, we, we can so easily rely on ourselves, try and work things out ourselves, try and fix things up, for ourselves. So whatever you may do when you're anxious, make sure that they are not instead of prayer. Because if you do them instead of prayer, they're doing more harm than good. Make sure you do them as well as prayer. Because anxiety is actually a sign that we can't do it all ourselves. It should lead us into the arms of God. Prayer is at the very depth of our being, trusting our life into God's hands. It's asking him and knowing that he will take care of everything for us. He promises that. It's exactly what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you'll eat, or about your body, or what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food? Isn't the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
You can hear them out there. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So do not worry, Jesus says. Why? Because your heavenly Father cares for you. And so in the middle of this hectic world, with all its pressures and all its things to worry about, Jesus doesn't say withdraw from it all and go and live in a monastery. He asks us in the middle of it all to trust him. It's not, a, it's not so much a change of activities or a change of lifestyle or a sea change or move to another town. It is a change of our heart. That whatever place we find ourselves in, we know that we can trust God. He's got it covered. Whatever it is that we're anxious about, pray about it. Independence on God. And then this is not just some sort of magic um, uh, pill that you take one day. The next day when new things come up and you're anxious about them, pray. And then when the same old things come up and you're anxious about them, even though you've already prayed about them, pray. Prayer is not some magical fix, but prayer is asking God for help. Prayer is saying, Father, I trust you to do what's best. So let me ask you, is there anything that you're anxious about at the moment? Are you anxious about work, relationships, the kids, the parents, health, finances, decisions to make? I could go on. The question is, Have you prayed about it? Are you praying about it? And if not, pray. And know that God can take care of it. And if you are praying about it, great. Keep on praying. In fact, at the end of the talk, we're going to have a time of personal prayer, just a quiet time, and maybe there's something that you need to think about and pray about. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, no matter how big, no matter how small, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love the last part of today's passage. It's about filling our minds with what is good, with what is true, with what is right. On holidays um, late last year, I read a biography of a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was, it was a huge, thick book. It made me anxious just seeing how thick it was. But I got into it. It was a great read. And it was so encouraging because here was a guy. He was in a concentration camp in the Second World War, but he was good. He was noble. 
He was humble before God and he trusted God and it made me joyful for the circumstances I was in compared to him and it made me want to be like him. And at the end of this letter here, Paul's saying these are the kinds of things we need to be filling our minds with. Read biographies of other Christians like Corrie ten Boom who stood up for the truth. Uh, Watch movies like Amazing Grace about Christians who fought to abolish slavery. Instead of looking for the faults in each other, Euodia and Sintiki, think about what is lovely and honourable in each other. And not just think about it, put it into practice, verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Live it out in the church family. And the God of peace will be with you. That's what ties this whole section together, isn't it? Peace. The God of peace will be with you. God is a God of peace. He brings peace between us and himself through the death of Jesus on the cross. He brings peace with each other. And he brings peace within ourselves. Not arguing. Peace. Not anxiety peace. The God of peace will be with you. I thought we couldn't have a Bible talk on prayer and not spend some time praying. So we're going to have a short time of prayer now, but just privately. And I want you to just pick one of those things and pray for it now. Maybe there's a person that you need to pray for who you need to sort things out with. Pray about that now. Maybe there's one or two of lots of things that you're anxious about. Maybe you can pray about that now as the start of ongoing prayer for it. So let's pray. Let's just take a couple of minutes just quietly where you are. Pray to God and then I'll finish. Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. As for me, I trust in the Lord. Father God, we confess that we do worry about so many things and not always, but quite often, It's because we're trying to work them out ourselves and not trusting in you. And Father, we pray that we would learn how to cast our anxieties onto you. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would teach us to pray. And Father, we pray that you teach us for, for, that prayer might be our first response, not our last. And Father, we pray that as we learn to trust you, your peace might fill us and guard our hearts and our minds. Father, we look to the example of Jesus who just prayed so often and so much about everything. And yet we think somehow we can get through life uh, without praying. Please help us to be humble like Jesus and depend on you. And Father, please fill us with your peace that we might have peace with you 
peace with each other and peace within our hearts. Amen.